spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the singer, musician and songwriter Roland Orzabal. As one half of seminal pop band Tears for Fears, Roland became one of the best-selling artists of the 1980s, hitting the top of the charts in both the UK and the US with smash hit albums The Hurting, Songs from the Big Chair and The Seeds of Love. Unlike a lot of their contemporaries, their synth-driven pop was more than just gloss. All of it was underpinned by a uniquely thoughtful and introspective lyricism. Roland and his bandmate Kurt Smith were deep, thoughtful young men who were unafraid to write and talk about their emotions. They shared a deep interest in the work of primal therapy psychologist Arthur Yanoff and explored mental health matters in songs like Shout, Mad World and Pale Shelter at a time when it was deeply unfashionable to do so. I've been a big fan of the band since I was a kid and I was delighted to welcome Roland onto the reset. He and Kurt have recently enjoyed a revival tour in big stadiums, being name-dropped frequently by modern artists such as Lord, The Weeknd and Kanye West. And their stunning new album, The Tipping Point, will be released on February 25th. In recent years, Roland's had to cope with the death of his first wife, Caroline, whom he'd been with since he was in his teens. In the aftermath of that, he struggled with his own drink and drug problems and has undergone rehab twice before finding a new love, getting back together with Kurt and rediscovering his creative spark. I was pretty astonished and privileged by how open and honest Roland was in our chat taking the conversation in so many fascinating directions as we covered depression, anxiety, boozing, creativity, grief, and so much more. I really hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Roland, welcome to The Reset. Thank you. Oh, it's a a real, real pleasure to have you on the show. And um, Roland, as you might know, this is a, a podcast that really was started to encourage men to open up about their mental health, which traditionally is something they've struggled to do. Um, what, what do you think enabled you to be so expressive about emotions in your work from such a young age? I think because, simply because there was a, a philosophy, a psychology, a psychological theory um, about um, how we are made, which um, resonated with me hugely. Um, I had always had this sense that there was something wrong with me. And I, I don't mean physically. I mean, I always had this sense that there was something going on inside me that I needed to get out. Mm. But I didn't know what it was. Um, I was very into existentialism as a kid at school. Uh, So I I would read John Paul Sartre, Albert Cummings and all those guys, and it would make complete sense to me, this this, um, sense of alienation. Mm. But I was a little detached from the world. It seems to seem to me that no one had any concerns or cares yeah, that I was yeah. alone, alone with all this. 
It was um, perhaps a coincidence or just perhaps um, luck that I had a guitar teacher and it wasn't a guitar teacher that was paid for. Uh, it was um, a, a woman, a kind of hippie music student in, in, in Newton Park in Bath who offered to give people, young young guys, um, free guitar lessons. And this was like, long story short, a couple of years later, um, we became friends with her. She was a bit older than us, me, Kurt, Kurt's brother, um, my wife, my late wife at the time, um, Caroline. And she, she, one day she sat us down and she said, look, I'm going I'm to go to Los Angeles because I'm going to go and do this thing called primal therapy. And it was like, what, what, what is it? And so she gave us the book to read, Primal Scream. And for me, it was a revelation. A revelation, the idea of this, the, the simple essence of uh, primal therapy was that you, you, you're born um, a blank slate, Yeah. The tabula rasa, Carl, Carl Jung kind of thing, and then life etches you, all your personality is etched upon you by your early experiences. Okay, so you're not. It, it suggests that you're not really born with a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, the, 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 not everyone agrees with this, and I don't now. Um, other other psychologies believe that you're born with complexes. Um, but not Yanov. So Yanov was kind of perfect because he kind of, he made the child a victim. You could blame your mum and dad for all the bad things. Mm. So um, I embraced uh, primal therapy. I became quite evangelical about it. And I believed that I wanted to change the world. I believed it would change the world. And I believed that that was my route out of this um, existential problem I had, this sense of isolation. And I had depression. I'd had um, suicidal ideation um, all, all before the age of 18. Um, I'd, I'd had some weird experiences. I was a good kid at school. I was a straight A student. And when I hit adolescence around the age of 17 and the wheels came off, I had this kind of revolution psychological revolution mm. in my head where nothing seemed to make sense anymore. So what, what allowed me to express these things, the fact that there was a theoretical overview, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you've, you, essentially you, you're marrying the intellect and theory um, with what is going on in your soul. That, that's to answer your question. That's exactly what made it easy. Obviously, quite quickly at quite a young age, you, you began to write songs with a lot of this very raw yeah. stuff being publicly expressed. What was the cultural response to that from other men, from family members at school, that sort of stuff? Well, you know, when I was a kid, I, I learnt. Um, I mean, there were too. There was too much turmoil. My, my father was physically abusive to my mum. It's too much emotional turmoil. The mum breaking down in tears all the time. Too much difficult, too much turmoil for me to go and, and say, this is how I feel. So I, as a child, I certainly never felt like there was anyone to talk to. So that's a, that's a big problem. But I was surrounded by musicians. You know, my, my parents ran an entertainment agency. 
And I quickly realized that I could take my guitar, and I'd learned the guitar from the age of nine, I could take my guitar into my bedroom and I could write a song which was self-soothing. So I learned to not rely on other people to express my feelings, not rely on an absolutely fundamental and necessary human connection. I got rid of it. Mm. I could write a song or I could listen to a song and there would be this feedback loop. So in terms of what culturally allows you to do those kind of things, I mean, you've already got, you've already, there's already a history. I mean, John Lennon's, um, I think his first solo album uh, with Plastic Ono Band um, was about his experiences and is the very short time he did primal therapy, which in my opinion, he didn't really do it. But he's got songs, he's screaming songs like Mother. You know, I mean, there's so much um, soul searching that goes on in Lennon's music. It wasn't really much of a kind of quantum leap. Also, at that time, um, the song that hit me and a lot of other people because of its tragic overtones is Love Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division. I mean, and the whole, again, the whole the story of Ian Curtis in the end hanging himself. Mm. It's kind of like, well, it just goes to show that music's not enough, but it certainly helps. So that's why I felt we were at the time, it was a tough time politically. It was a dark time politically. Um, It was an oppressive time, authoritarianism in the name of neoliberalism. And we were allowed to wear black. We were allowed to be maudlin we were allowed to sort of gaze at our shoes or into the the lake and look at the ducks all moodily, you know. Um, so again, that, that made it very easy. It didn't last. That period didn't last. And we came in, come through the mid eighties and into the late eighties, it all became poppy frothy and we were into the new summer of love. For people who are very private or might be filled with shame or embarrassment about the things they're feeling. Yeah. I guess music's a good Good, good form of therapy, a good starting point for anyone. Would you say that's, yeah, that's good it's advice? Not, it's not, I don't think it's going to solve any problems, but it's a starting point. You know, if there's, if there's one song that, that sums up how you feel, then that's the first step towards realising you're not alone, that a lot of people have gone through this, a lot of people are still going through this, and that there's a way out of it. But I would, you know... For me, there have been books that have changed my life and, and there are books that are still changing my life. And there are now, the, it's the beauty of the podcast and the beauty of the YouTube video, uh, you know, that you can learn so much. And I, you know, I can't stress to anyone listening that, I mean, there's some crazy books out there that just go and try and find Try and find the theory or the words as well for what is going on inside you, because that's that, that it offers so much clarity. It doesn't always help because especially with deep trauma, you, you, you have to do, you know, more body work. If, if, see, if you see, see what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I would just stress that. Try and try and get a name for it. 
If you've got a name for it, then you can start to handle it. Primal Scream, the philosophy around that, and obviously existentialism you've mentioned, does that has that stayed with you? Your sort of the way in which you engage with those theories. Briefly, I did. Um, I did primal therapy um, after the big chair songs with the big chairs. It's mid eighties, so we're one of the biggest bands in the world. I've been wanting to do primal therapy. It was only available in LA, New York, and then it went to Paris. Then there was a splinter group that that set up in London. Um, and uh, this coincided with my wife, um, Caroline, wanting to move to London away from Bath and go back to college. So I found myself in London doing primal therapy, which I did for about five years, quite intense, tense, intensively, um, you know, sometimes three times a week, male, male therapist, female therapist, group therapy, which was hell. And we are, you are literally sitting in a padded room so that's how it would, I guess, and that would be a turn-off for a lot of people. Mm. And it's also um, a certain type of, of therapy, which, and the proponents nowadays probably maybe not. It does, regardless of the school of therapy, it's always down to the therapist and your relationship to them. So have I moved on? Yeah. I mean, I've been, you know, uh, 2017, my, uh, my wife died. Um, I hit a wall and I would say I had, regardless of what I knew, regardless of the fact that I'd done therapy as a kid, um, I had did not have the tools to deal with those feelings. I just didn't, okay? So whatever smart things I'm saying, you know, they didn't help. Not even reading stuff helped. Mm. So I found myself in a difficult situation, which I'm sure a lot of people have been in, where you you end up, I ended up on the sort of, um, you know, going the benzo route. <laughs> you know, everything, everything that I was, there was not, 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 I was against. But I just, um, yeah, it was a tough time, and um, I, my alcohol intake shot up. Is that just the way it is for anyone? I mean, you know, that nothing can prepare you for for that kind of bereavement, no matter what you've you've done. Yeah, I mean, I guess that. I mean, I I, I, I blame myself. I don't blame anyone else. I mean, I was uh, my life had changed. I'd become a parent. Um, age 30 and that's when I stopped going to to therapy because I suddenly had this my inner child was now an outer child if you like and I had this little bundle of flesh to look after and and my, my childhood ended then I, I felt it absolutely fundamentally but then over the, the years I, I guess I grew harder and harder you know become a parent so structure discipline are important things you know my wife and I were always into wine that was the first thing we sort of spent money on when we even with my doll check when I was 18 get that every two weeks go out and spend the whole thing on on a, on a, a meal with, with lovely wine so I guess that what happened to me is um 
addiction, and this again, this happens to a lot of people. You you don't see it sometimes, but addiction was an issue, and I was in huge denial about it. But what that was doing to me, I mean, it killed Caroline. Um, she died from cirrhosis of the liver. And it was not a very nice period, believe me, watching that happen. But yeah, addiction creeps up on you. You start off, this is England, we're good at this in England, good at this in Britain, uh, settling down in the evening with our bottle, glass of wine, two glasses of wine, three glasses of wine, bottle of wine each, bottle and a half of wine each. And before you know it, you, you, you do actually have a drinking problem. That and other things, which I won't mention. And what you're doing, what you're doing to your brain is you're becoming uh, reliant on a substance. And that's it, what happens. Your, your brain is a shock absorber. It can, it's incredibly capable of dealing with all kinds of things, shock, trauma, and the, you can see it like a wave, like a, a, a wave that's sort of rocking the, 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 the brain, rocking the organ. If you're healthy, then you have a great capacity to handle those highs and lows. The moment you, you start taking substances, uh, even alcohol, the, you, the limit of your shock absorber is reduced. It's like you're now driving a sports car on a very, very bumpy road. And then when bad things happen, when bad things really happen, you essentially, life feels like someone has, is hold, holding a gun to your head. That's how dangerous it feels. And so I went through, you know, as I said, after all my smart advice and, and wisdom, my life spiraled out of control, firstly with my, my wife's death and then in 2018, ended up in hospital four times and I'd never been in hospital in my life. You know, I had um, anxiety off the scale, suicidal ideation, all these things. So that more than anything, and I couldn't put it into music. <laughs> I could no longer put it into music. Music meant nothing to me. Books meant nothing to me. Oh, yeah. And I did all the rounds with, you know, trying to work out what was wrong with me. It was probably um, withdrawal of some some form, and um, that and the extraordinary earthquake of grief, suppressed grief. Yeah. Mm. So at that point in time, I, I, whenever I met anyone who'd had mental illness, mental problems. I just, I felt an immediate connection with them. I had no judgment whatsoever anymore. Mm. Yeah, and so that's kind of where I am. Did you, uh, how did you, what, what type of treatment did you eventually receive? What worked eventually to get you through that? Um, well, you know, if, you're, if you start taking psychoactive drugs or anything like that and you, you become reliant on them 
you have to do the, do the rehab. Mm. It sounds horrible. But until you get off everything, you won't know what's going on with you. And as I saw with, with Caroline, she had anxiety, suicidal ideation. She had bruises on her body that wouldn't heal. And it was all alcohol. I don't know if you saw the programme on Tony Slattery. No, I didn't see that. Well, that, that was an interesting one because here's a guy who is clearly alcoholic. Clearly alcoholic. Same thing, bruises on his legs that don't heal. And he's going to see these doctors. And they're, 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 they're diagnosing, him, diagnosing him as bi- bipolar. Mm. Now, well, you, until you take alcohol out of the equation, you can't, you can't diagnose him with anything. He's alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I totally um, agree. Yeah, so, um, so that's the first thing, rehab. And it's also the, it's not, it's not an easy thing to do. It's a harsh world. And it's a disciplined world, and you're going to meet people that you don't like. You're going to meet people that are much worse off than you. And you're going to pe- meet um, the, the, the therapists and counsellors that you just don't agree with. Mm. But it's, it's a step in the right direction. So that, that really that set me on the right road. But before long, I was back to my bad ways. And it took, uh, took a secondary rehab for me, an incredible place in Colorado called Inner Balance. Absolutely stunning, holistic, beautiful. And they 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 put me right. But I've done also a lot of grief work, you know. Was well. it twelve was it twelve step recovery or something different? Well the first one was twelve step, which is why I had a problem with it. The yeah. second rehab was not twelve step, but you still went you still went to AA and AA meetings just so you could get a taste of what's going on. Where are you at? now it took a long time um but you know this sounds like a cliche the love of a good woman um i think i had i've been married to 36 years and i was used to having a partner mm-hmm. um i've been with caroline two years before that i'd known her since the age of 14 and so i guess i well i fundamentally need um, for my own mental health and for my survival, I need love, mm. lots of it. And that was really what brought me back back to the living. And was a new relationship the trigger for you being able to be creative and, and write this collection of songs again? Well, I, I think that's what was happening with me when I was sort of um, drinking a lot and doing other things. I wasn't tapping into that well, the well of your soul. Do you see mm. what I'm saying? So yeah. kind of like I could make music, I could make good songs. I, I knew how to write songs. I could make good catchy tunes. But coming off everything m- meant it was easier to connect with my heart. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. So, yeah, because... When things get tough, um, I think the first thing that happens is your heart sort of tightens like crazy. And then your whole system goes mad. 
because there's no there's no sort of um, chain of information from your heart to your brain to your liver to your brain to your feelings because we're we are so we're so complicated and really not just we're more flesh and blood and skeleton and you need to you need to get all that information you need to get it flowing so do you feel like you know yourself better now than you ever have done oh yeah yeah i um, got to the the point where you know my life had spiraled out of control and at that point what I did is again. It's the the, the old cliche. Cliche. I surrendered. Mm. <laughs> I just. I said I don't know. That I am no longer. I'm not the boss. I'm not the boss of me. And that I need answers. So where are? <laughs> and lo and behold, things started happening just by accepting defeat. Yeah. Um, I do think there is a magical element to the universe and things started to come back together so um i suppose when you when you listen back to the records you wrote when you were much younger in the 80s which were you know so so emotionally open do you do you listen to that to that young man now and think that he didn't really know himself that well even though the appeal of those records was it seems to be coming from someone who had so much insight to himself well, as I said earlier, we, we, we were in very much into the Yanov stuff. Um, mm. I had a philosophy which was, you know, blaming my parents for my condition, blaming my parents when I felt, you know, I'm now a parent myself, I'm now 60 years, so you're seeing a life that's been fully lived. And you're never going to know yourself because you're always evolving. Yeah. It would have been dangerous if I'd known what I know now when I was uh, 19, 20, I would have been intolerable. Mm. It's the, the beauty of growth and life experience that brings you to new places where you can look back. But, you know, I mean, I'm still searching. I've always been very curious about how we are made. You know, I realise and I believe now that we are built um, we are born with complexes, which is, you know, why some people kind of seem to have an easy time and can glide through life and other people sort of sometimes feel that like they're bashing their heads against the wall. And, and I'm fascinated with the psychology of that, but not just the, the psychology of that. I'm fascinated with all things psycho-spiritual um, as well. As a creative, you, I mean, I don't know whether you're completely sober now or not, but as a creative person, obviously, no. uh, you're not. Okay, but you, no. you're obviously in a better place than you were in terms of the way in which you're oh, yeah, yeah, no, you know, using alcohol. Yeah, that's absolutely different. There's a lot of people, no matter what they're in, who think, when I give this up, when I stop relying on this, I won't be able to perform in whatever it is they do anymore. No, it's reversed. I mean, I don't, I mean, you obviously you've got the, um, yeah, you've got hedonism. Mm. Uh, that's one aspect of it, but I think there's a there's a deep. Uh, uh, I'll try and explain this without getting astrological with you. Mm. Um, I think there's a deeper need, a deeper force within creative people 
And I, I could kind of see it like this. Let's say there is a, a kind of a field of energy, um, like a field of memory or a field of consciousness, which is kind of unifying us as a culture. Um, hence, you see fashions come, fashions go, and then everyone jumps on board. It seems to be a sort of a force that's driving a kind of a, a un unity. I think what it is, I think that some people are have a bent. They're, they're born with receptors, like antenna, to pick up all these messages. And I think it's also linked with a kind of deep spiritual need for connection. Um, something that maybe when we were less civilized in inverted commas, when we were a more primitive tribe, we would probably all have this stuff, you know, looking at the cosmos, knowing our place in the mm -hmm. cosmos, realizing the cosmos is one. Th but since um, science um, became the dominant religion and has stripped away that stuff and sort of funneled us into a kind of materialist perspective, a rational materialist perspective, I think we kind of lost touch with a lot of the basic stuff. But yet some people, what some people are trying to do is express it. And that's what they're doing, whether it's Jackson Pollock, uh, Picasso, or John Lennon. Mm. And I think that, you know, I am going to get astro astrological. Well, I'm good because I'm loving it. The planet, the planet of the planet of the creative imagination, Neptune, uh, is also the planet of addiction uh, because it's the urge to lose yourself, to lose your individuality, to lose your sense of oneness, isolation, and connect to something, maybe just the field of memory, just maybe just the field of consciousness. When you are connected, you're fully aware that you're not alone. Um, yeah, so that's sure. kind of how I, I see it. So it's, there is hedonism, but there's also a much deeper, instinct within us as well Roger, i really appreciate your time and i really appreciate you being so honest and open with us and i really think it will help a lot of people who are listening brilliant thank you well there you go roland orzabal i can honestly say he's one of the most open honest insightful and certainly reflective pop stars i've ever interviewed i hope you got something out of listening to that i know i did and remember the new Tears for Fears album, The Tipping Point, is out on February 25th. It covers a lot of the themes Roland was just talking to me about and really is a stunning piece of work. Remember also to subscribe to the Reset newsletter at samdelaney.substat.com if you don't already and follow me on Instagram at the Reset Sam. Until next time, gang, thanks for listening, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down.